This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. As Ben mentioned, we are in a sermon series called The Church Gathered and Sent. And last week, where we started was in Genesis, and we saw that God called Abraham to make him a great nation. And he called him to bless him so that he would be a conduit of blessing to others. And what we said is that all those who trust in Christ are a fulfillment, part of a fulfillment of that call to Abraham. And so what that means is that we inherit the blessing of Abraham. The God of the Bible knows you if you're in Christ. The the God of the Bible is blessing you if you're in Christ because we inherit the blessing of Abraham. But we also saw that if we are in Christ and inherit the blessing of Abraham, we also inherit the mission of Abraham, which is to be a blessing. And so really what we're trying to do in this sermon series, is take a look at the very heart of the mission and vision of New City. And I said this last week, this is not original to us. We may say it in a specific way, a certain way, but really any church is trying to be as faithful to what the Bible teaches as possible. And basically the Bible teaches what we said last week, that God calls the people to bless them and be a blessing through them. But for us particularly, I want us to get around the way we talk about it, the way we articulate it. And here at New City, uh, Ben already mentioned our vision, which we want to see our communities flourish to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way that we think that's going to happen is by making whole life disciples for their callings. So I'm going to get back to this in a minute, but this is like, uh, if you have a pen, and if you don't, you automatically fail. But if you have a pen, take it out and turn to the sermon notes and, and get ready to write what I'm about to tell you, Okay. What I want you to do is I want you to draw a bullseye, but start on the outside because I find that it's easier. I get smaller and smaller if I don't start on the outside. So I give that to you, okay? Start on the outside and then draw a second circle and then a smaller circle inside and you have a bullseye, something we're aiming at. When we say a whole life disciple, that's what we're aiming at. And what we've called a whole life disciple is someone in the center, you can write this, communion with God, right? That's at the very center, Communion with God through word and prayer must be at the center because it's the life source. And then we find ourselves not as mavericks in relationship with God, but we've been called to be part of a people. And so that's the the next circle out, which is kind of like the spokes in a wheel. If communion is the hub where the energy comes from, the next circle is the, the spokes, right? So that would be community with one another. And then the one on the very outside we call co-mission. So we write co, C-O, dash, mission. And this is for the world through our witness and work. 
And I want, to, I want you to draw that at the beginning. I'm actually going to have us draw it every week. And then when it's an appropriate time of something I say, I'm going to point you back to the bullseye and see, see, this is why this is important, okay? So now you have it, and you're ready for me to point, back, point you back to it in a moment. I hope one of the things you see in that picture is that New City takes formation in Christ really seriously. We actually want to be changed by the gospel day in and day out because we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ it must be at the center of our lives so that it can actually change all of our lives. It's sort of like an atomic bomb, you know, in the movie Armageddon, right? You know, you know you like that movie. Uh, Bruce Willis, is, uh, he's going to stay on an asteroid to explode it, right? So that the asteroid doesn't destroy Earth. And, and most of the movie is them trying to figure out how to get the atomic bomb deep enough into the asteroid, so it actually splits the whole thing, because they know that while it might uh, take a huge chunk out of the asteroid if they were just to blow up the bomb on the surface, it wouldn't affect the whole thing, and it would still smack into the earth. So what they had to do was dig down deep enough, put that nuclear weapon down in the core, and when it exploded, of course, it split the whole thing, and uh, that's kind of what, what, like communion in our life. If we, if we just sort of treat communion with God although as powerful as it is to fit it in whenever it seems convenient to us, it won't permeate all of us. But if, if we start there at the very core of who we are, the gospel will change our hearts, but it will change the way we live in the world. And so that's why communion is at the center. But we also take mission very seriously at New City, mission in all of life, because we believe that when the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us at the center, it will move its way out into every area of our life. Now, I know that some of us have heard people, and maybe we've done this ourselves, we've split different types of churches into different categories, right? We, we may say, okay, so this church over here is really into mission. You know, they're, they're really into serving the poor, and they're really into evangelism, and they're really into um, being out in the community. So people are coming to faith in that in that place. And so we sort of group certain churches into that, but then we sort of have this other group of churches when we say, well, this is the group of churches that takes discipleship really seriously and spiritual formation. And so we may see people or talk about people leaving the churches we put in this category and walking down the street to another church and coming to this other category because they want something deeper, right? We talk that way. And I I think that's actually a real category. But what we're trying to do at New City is we're trying to actually say, Mission or outreach and evangelism and serving the poor and all of the the corporate mission of a church and discipleship actually belong together. You see, one's like breathing in and the other one's like breathing out. And we don't tell, I don't tell you, hey, you guys breathe in for me while I breathe out. Or I'll breathe out while you guys breathe in. But actually, all of us, we, we want to breathe in and breathe out. We see mission and communion, mission and formation go together at, uh, in the Bible. And so at New City, that's what we really want to see. We believe that spiritual formation and mission must always be together. Now, for the sake, because this is so important to what our vision is as a church, what I want to do is I want to share just quickly a few examples of what it would be like if we decided that it was okay for those two things to be separate. All right, now, before I move on, let me just say every church— uh, every church is going to be better at one thing or the other at any given time, okay? That's true. And every church is going to have a certain sort of distinctives about it for lots of different reasons, and I don't think that's wrong either. 
But I don't think it's a good idea for us to look at that and say, again, we're going to be a church that's only about breathing out. Or we're going to be a church that's only about breathing in. We need to be both. So, so just don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Not everyone is the same in their distinctives. But at New City, we want to see these come together. This is what it would look like if we decided we were going to be a breathe out or a breathe in church, okay? So imagine this. Imagine spirituality, formation, discipleship, apart from a focus on mission in the world in everyday life. I think it could end up looking lots of different ways, but at least two ways that it would go wrong. One is that it would become self-absorbed spirituality. And this, okay, so without a picture of mission outside of you uh, and something beyond ourselves, spirituality can easily dissolve into self-absorption. And in fact, in much of the ways that that word is used in our contemporary culture, that's exactly what it is. And spirituality becomes merely a path of self-discovery, right? In other words, uh, all your spirituality becomes inward turning about yourself. Eugene Peterson in 1997, put this into words for us. He says this, spirituality is always in danger of self-absorption, of becoming so intrigued with matters of the soul that God is treated as a mere accessory to my experience. And when we look around, we see this. It's not hard to find examples of this around us, even in our own hearts. But what happens is when we turn inward into self-absorption, the quest for wholeness which is a good thing we talk about that, actually displaces the quest for God and love of neighbor. And we get so turned in on ourselves. So that would be a self-absorbed spirituality when we forget mission. But we can also become a church-absorbed spirituality and think that spirituality is only for the church gathered and not for us to be salt and light in the world and witnesses in the world. And what that would look like is uh, when we view church gathered as an escape from the world. And we then see participation in the community of faith as sort of the hallmark of the spiritual life, right? Nothing else happens in the spiritual life outside of the church and a church-focused, church-absorbed spirituality. Everything of my uh, spiritual life happens in the church gathered, and that would be obviously wrong and a miserable way to live. Right? When this happens, we end up desiring to live in our, our churches like in a church bubble, And we don't want to be infected by all of the corrupt and corrupting influences of the world outside the church. But to view church as an escape from the world in Jesus' name is forgetting that Jesus forms us for the world. That's what he says in his farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. So we see that if we separate spirituality or formation from mission and only breathe in and never breathe out— It can be self-absorbed and church-absorbed. But what would happen if we had mission apart from spirituality, apart from formation in Christ? What would that look like? Well, I only have one of these, but it would look like mere activism or something like that, right? Basically, what would happen is when we as a church would engage in mission without a deep sense of connection with God and dependence upon him, What happens is our efforts would become all about self-assertion, self-accomplishment, our own name in the world, right? We skip over the blessed part and just say, we need to be a blessing, be a blessing in the city, in our communities. But we have nothing to offer unless we are connected to the life source, to God himself. 
If, mission, if the mission of God then takes the place of God himself in the center of our hearts, it becomes an idol. Even mission can become its own ism, right? Like missionalism. We're all about mission. And so then what happens is our participation in God's mission displaces our trust of dependence on and delight in God himself. And so in this instance, we find our identity in what we do as opposed to who God has made us to be in Christ. And so those things have to stay together. Mission and formation have to stay together. And at New City, we're trying to do this. This is what we're trying to do when we say we exist to see our communities flourish through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way this is going to happen is by making whole life disciples for their callings. And now you look at the bullseye and that's what we're trying to do in whole life disciples. So I think a church that keeps both these things together, formation in Christ and mission, always has gathering with sending in mind and sending with gathering in mind. We have to keep these things together. It's way easier said than done. But when we can do this, we can gather to be formed as God's people. And when we're formed as God's people, we're sent as God's people. So we gather to be formed as God's people and we're sent as God's people. Do you see this? And so that's, this is, we're getting at the heart of what we want to be at New City, of what we're about, of what we long to see happen, this movement of whole life disciple making for your callings as neighbors, as parents, as workers, wherever you're sent. And so today I wanted to look at Hebrews chapter 10 because this is a passage about gathering together and about what it's like when we gather to be formed. So that's actually what we're going to talk about. I wanted to mention gathering and sending at the beginning, formation and mission. But for the rest of the time, when we look at this passage, we're really going to turn our eyes to the, the middle of the bullseye and then the next ring, okay? We're not going to talk this morning mainly about the last ring where the rubber meets the road, commission. We're going to talk about that in the future weeks in this series. So, so that's where we're going. We're going to make three observations from Hebrews chapter 10, mainly in communion and community. And when we look at this passage, I want to make three observations about how we're formed when we gather, okay? So, We gather to be formed, and I see it up there. The first observation is as God's people. So I'm actually starting at the end of the passage. If you look in verses 24 and 25, jump to the bottom. You'll notice, by the way, when we read this, there are three exhortations. He says, let us, let us, let us. And that's actually uh, our observations. We're looking at the last let us in verse 24. And he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we see that when we gather together, we gather together because to be formed as God's people, we have to be together as God's people. Christian formation is a community endeavor. There really is no ongoing formation that's only Jesus and me or Jesus and you, singular, but it's us. That's why the author to the Hebrew says, let us consider how to stir up one another, not neglecting to meet together. So this is a, this is a community of people that God is forming. He's, he's forming a church, and a church is plural. And when we look at this particular word or phrase, 
let us consider how to stir up one another, is pretty abrasive, or at least strong. Abrasive might not be the right word. It's strong. You could translate this as provoke. Provoke one another to love and good deeds. So what do you have to do to be able to provoke people, to stir one another up ongoingly? I think there's at least two things. One, you have to know them. Uh, You have to know them to be able to know how they need stirred up, to know where they need stirred up in their life. And to know someone, you have to consistently gather with them. And so the way this happens at New City, primarily where we stir one another up into love and good deeds, is in community groups. We have community groups because this church is of the size where we don't frequently get the reps with one another on Sunday morning to know how we can stir one another up to love and good works, both in the church and outside the church. And so we come together in community groups weekly. We gather for the sake of encouraging one another, for stirring one another up in these good works. And so this is where we get to use our gifts as we, as we come together, our gifts of encouragement, our gifts of leadership, our gifts of discernment, or whatever we are, we are endowed with for the sake of others. We get to come together and we get to be encouraged and to encourage one another. And I want to say this about community. It's, it's certainly a buzzword, but I think what's challenging about community is that it's everything we long for and it's everything we're terrified of. It's everything we long for because we, we long to belong. We want to be known. We want to be accepted. We want to have a, a place where we can actually be us and be accepted. But so when we're accepted, us being us can encourage another person so that we can be known and accepted so that we can be us in a way as God's made us to stir someone else up in love and good works. We all long for that. And yet the reason it's also what we're terrified of is because you have to be known. People have to know you and that can be a very scary thing. There are a couple of things as to why it can be scary. I'm only going to talk about one of them right now. But one of the reasons it can be scary to be known is because we don't always actually like who we are. And for other people to see it, it could cause us shame and confusion by the fact that other people see us. And that's why a lot of us sort of keep at arm's length from community, right? We want to know why we're not being changed. We want to know why we're not experiencing community and belonging. And yet we're doing this to other people. And so how can we know others if we're not allowing ourselves to be known? How can we stir one another up to love and good works if we're not stirring others up to love and good works through an actual growing relationship with one another? And so this is why we put emphasis on community at New City is because we believe that to be gathered into community is the only, one of the only ways that we can be formed in such a way where we then are sent into the world and have something to offer. How can we know and love other people? We have to first experience being known and loved in a community of people. And then once we know and love other people, we have to have a community to invite them into so that they can be known and loved by other people who can see them for who they are and love them. And so the first way we gather to be formed is as God's people. The second way we see is in verse 23. So we don't just gather as God's people, but we gather to be formed upon God's promises. And we see this in verse 23. 
This is the second let us phrase. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So what this is, is it's confident hope in God's promises. How can we have confident hope in God's promises? Well, we have confident hope in God's promises by his character. He has a trustworthy character. We see it throughout his scriptures over and over and over as he shows up for his people. As we pay attention to how he's shown up for other people in our community, we're reminded of God's faithfulness. But what I said, though, was God's promise. What is his promises? What are his promises? Ultimately, if you look in the context where this word promises is used in the book of Hebrews, it's always calling back to the finished work of Christ. It's calling back to what Christ has accomplished in God's mission. And we saw it at the beginning of our passage in verse 19. We have confidence to draw near into the presence of God. We'll see that more again in the third observation. But we have confidence to draw near because of what Jesus has accomplished. And so we, we could talk a lot about a lot of things related to God's promises. But I want to talk about one thing. And that's this. I simply want to point out that for us to be formed as God's people for the world, we must be formed around a hope that is more solid than what the world hopes in. Otherwise, we have nothing to offer them. We're being formed in the exact same way they're being formed. And so I'll say it again. In order for us to be formed in such a way as God's people, upon God's promises, that we actually have anything to offer when we're, ga- when we're sent, we have to be gathered and formed around a hope that is more solid than the hope that the world is being formed around. And so the confession of our hope is the confession of Christ and his work on the cross. So for us at New City, when we gather upon his promises, we must be formed around his promises. And I just want to ask three things. Imagine this. What would it be like? What would it be like as a people who come together as God's people to be formed with one another, stirring each other up in love and good works? to remind each other of God's promises and be formed around those? What would it be like to be coming those types of people so that when we hold fast our hope in Christ, we would be formed as resilient people who could offer peace in the midst of a chaotic world because we actually know our future? What would that be like? We'd be formed as a people filled with resilience in the face of chaos around us because we know our future. It's sure. We have a sure hope. Now, listen, some of you, when I say chaos around you, around us, we're thinking of broader cultural realities. And certainly I have that in my mind when I say that. But for some of you, your life is chaos. Like right now, everything is turned upside down. Everything you thought would happen or what life would be like isn't happening. And life isn't like that. Or everything that you had hoped for in five years now seems so far away that it just makes you want to quit life, if that were possible. But see, when we come together, this is why we need each other and we need each other to remind ourselves of God's promises. Because God's promises are sure. And we need to be formed around God's promises that our character would be transformed, not by our circumstances, merely, but by the promise of God. And I think that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying because when we read the whole book of Hebrews, we realize that things were pretty chaotic in the community itself, their their church community, as well as the community around them and the pressures they were feeling in the world. So it's both. 
It's both. But yet, we must be gathered and formed around God's promises. Also, what would it be like when we hold fast our hope in Christ if we were formed as generous people who share their power, who share their power for the good of their neighbor because we've been loved by a Savior who gave everything that we could share in his victory, that he shared his power, that he directed his power towards loving us, his bride. And we were formed around that in such a way that we allowed ourselves to be vulnerable with our power and not just try to keep it. That we didn't see power as a zero-sum game, but we moved into loving our neighbors, understanding that we have been given power in Christ to go and sacrifice for our neighbors in whatever way that is. In the simplest ways to the most magnificent ways. What would that be like? And you see, the only way we're going to be able to be those types of people in the world is if we gather regularly to be formed as God's people upon God's promises, stirring one another up in love and good works. And then one more, what would it be like if we as New City would gather and be formed in God's promises in such a way we'd hold fast to our hope in Christ, formed as humbly confident people, humble and confident, people who could offer the most solid and hope-giving news that God came down in human flesh to make all things new and to call the people to himself, that we could walk out so confident and yet humble, that we wouldn't cower in the face of rejection or being mocked, but we'd be so rooted in knowing that this hope is as true as the fact that we're sitting here right now. That the fact that Jesus came to earth, died on the cross, and those who trust in him receive new life, that that is as sure as the fact that gravity is acting upon you now to keep you in your seat. What would it be like to be formed in that type of confidence and yet move out into the world in the humility of Jesus? Oh, that would be powerful. And none of us, None of us are capable of that on our own. That's why we have to gather regularly to be formed. You see, sometimes I think we have this mentality, this idea that our hearts and our lives and our formation, are, we're like an assembly line, right? So it's kind of like you start at the beginning and you get the basics and it builds the foundation and as it goes, this piece gets put on, then this piece gets put on, then this piece gets put on. It never goes backwards. An assembly line is always moving one way. But you see, our hearts are not machines. We are not machines. We're not like assembly lines where once we get something, we have it. No, we need formed over and over and over. Over time, we need formed by one another. And then something new happens in our life. We come back on this rhythm and we're formed. And something new happens in someone else's life and we come together and we remind them of God's promises. We stir them up. We provoke them. We hear the word of God preached. We, we confess our sin weekly. This is how you're changed. This is how all of us are changed. I mean, the two most powerful things in change is story. We said this last week. Not just living your own story, but living into a story. And repetition. Story... That, that gets a hold of you, that captures your imagination, that gives you a vision of what life could be like. And then repetition, hearing that story, living into that story, failing, coming back, being reminded of that story, going back out, living into that story. 
That's how we're changed. That's how we're formed. And so we gather to be formed as God's people upon God's promises. And then the third observation in this text is by God's presence. This is in verse 22. This is the last let us phrase. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near. Near to what? Who are we drawing near to? Well, we're in the holy places, verse 19 says, by the blood of Jesus. And we're in the house of God. Of course, we're drawing near to God himself. The triune God has called us to draw near to him through the blood of Jesus. And so think about drawing near. Okay, what happens when you draw near to someone like this? I once heard a story read in a book of a person who uh, had a connection and he was on a spiritual pilgrimage. He's a Christian and he wanted to meet Mother Teresa. And he said he just wanted to sit in her presence. And he thought, he didn't know what would happen, but as it turns out, he, he travels to her and he gets 10 minutes with her. And so he sits down and she, she walks into the room and she grabs his hand, looks him in the eye, and he has all of these questions he wants to ask her. And he's, he's sort of lost in her presence. She grabbed his hand, she looks him in the eye, and she says, how are you? And she starts asking him all these questions. And at first he's frustrated because he can't get a question in. And she keeps asking him, how are you? And, and, and all of a sudden he starts to, to melt and he realizes she doesn't need me to impress her. She wants to sit with me and her presence was acting upon him. Now listen, Mother Teresa, of course, is a, she's a, a, I don't know what kind of example, but certainly an example that all of us would be intimidated by. But certainly we know these types of people in our life. They may not be Mother Teresa, but when we get, get in their presence, something happens to us. Their presence acts upon us. And if that's true about people that we know and respect, what do you think that's like when we draw near to the presence of God? We draw near to the presence of God, not just to be around him, but when we are in his presence, he acts upon us. He actually changes us. Now, that can be scary because when we draw near to someone, of course, we're not talking about proximity. You guys are near each other right now, shoulder to shoulder. There's something else that's going on when the Bible uses the phrase to draw near. But first, let me say this. When we draw near, you can't hide your blemishes anymore. That's why it's scary. That's why marriage is to be is to be completely bare before one another in every way. You cannot hide your blemishes from one another. You also can't hide false motives anymore. If you really want God for his gifts, not for God, and you draw near to him, you'll both find out really fast. And in this context, in Hebrews chapter 10, we see that we have nothing to offer God. In fact, when we draw near to God in the book of Hebrews, we draw near to receive his gifts. In verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's a gift to you. That's a gift to you. In Hebrews 4.16, again, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. We draw near, God gives gifts. In Hebrews 7, The writer says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God since he is always, he always lives to make intercession for them. Another gift. So you see, the point is, all of God's gifts culminate in knowing him. All of God's gifts culminate in communing with him. Look down at the circle. 
Why is communion at the center? Because all of God's gifts are toward that end. Everything starts there, moves out from there, gathers in to there. I want to end with this illustration. Imagine a father who was super wealthy, but very busy. So he didn't have a lot of time for his children. And he knew that. And he wasn't really happy about that. So he did the best he could. And what he did was he bought them lots of gifts. He bought them lots of gifts, but he never saw them. Every week, is daddy going to come home? Am I ever going to see daddy? No, but here's another gift that came in Amazon, right? It's on the doorstep. Would that ever lead to a meaningful relationship? No. And then what would actually happen is that that kid, that child would be counterformed to think that all relationships are about them only receiving gifts, right? And then all of a sudden they would see relationships as what can I get from you? You see, some of us treat and understand our relationship with God that way, one or the other. We either think that he gives us gifts, but not himself, or all we want is his gifts and we don't want him. But yet the writer to the Hebrews says, life is found when we draw near and receive him. And so to be gathered, to be gathered in such a way, to be formed in such a way where we can actually be God's people in the world, we always must gather in communion with God. And so when we are in the presence of God, he acts upon us. Now listen, it's important to say that worshiping God is an end in itself. Okay? We come here not to become something. We come here to get God. That's why we come here. And yet, there is an integral result when we commune with God. He changes us. And it forms us into people for mission as his people in the world. That is what we want to see at New City. And one of the things I love about that is we can't do that. Only God can do that. So let's seek him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now asking that we would get you now, that we would experience you, that we would draw near to you as a father who delights to give gifts, but, but primarily delights to be with us, to give us you. Forgive us for longing just for your gifts and not for you. Change us now. Grow a desire for more of you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.